Hi, this is Chris Angelus, your host at Right at the Fork, a very important message for those of you, and we assume anybody listening to this podcast enjoys going out to eat. Well, you know you have fewer choices now. We've got a very special restaurant industry in Portland. It is now less special than it was uh, a couple of years ago before the coronavirus started. And restaurants, as you know, are undergoing some very, very, very extreme challenges. They keep getting worse. Things looked a little better. And then Omicron came about. We've got labor shortages, supply line problems. And so what restaurants don't have is the funds to move forward. There was a restaurant relief fund. It had been funded a couple of years ago. Nothing has been done. Many restaurants are now out in the cold trying to survive. And you can help by logging into saverestaurants.com slash call Congress or dialing 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. It's been made very easy for you. All you do is click. There's even a script provided for you on what to say. And as you click through, you will hit the star button and make an additional call to an additional representative in your state and go over the script again. It'll take five minutes and it's very important. Restaurants need Need your help now. Please take action. And thanks for listening to Right at the Fork. This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. You know, it's game time coming up. The big game. We, we're not allowed to say, oh, they are saying Super Bowl gathering well, it, on the it, Zupan's website. Yeah, it's it's all relative to how you're talking about it. Um, it's the it's the weird promo thing. You're familiar with this, Chris, with your ears and advertising. If but if you're just talking about the Super Bowl, it, you know you're going to watch the Super Bowl. We can say that right now. For years, you couldn't. You had to call it the big game, yeah. no matter how you were referring to it. But here it is. Whatever it is, it's the Super Bowl. I'm no longer into football, but I like a party. So you can create an MVP-worthy spread for your gathering, featuring wings, sliders, ribs. Texas queso and much more. You can order it online or just go to Zupan's uh, and pick it up before the game. You and I have been big fans of their meals ready to go that you can go and pick up. You can order ahead of time, um, different ways to do it. I've become such a big fan, Chris, and we've been talking about this as well, about the recipes that they provide on both their website and their weekly, if not daily newsletter that comes out. Um, they put out this one recently. It was like this pasta with their really delicious uh, sausages and their uh, marinara sauce. I made this. I followed the recipe exactly from Zupans.com. And I kid you not, my, my two daughters, they're teenagers. They thought that I had gone to the restaurant and purchased this food and brought it home to them because they were just so impressed at the quality and how it tasted. And it was so easy. I think I made it in maybe, I don't know, 30, 35 minutes. Wow. Good job. Yeah. So, and that's something very special to get high praise from uh, teenagers. Oh man. I was my, my 14 year old, my youngest is the most critical when it comes to food and she was going back for seconds and she was just baffled that I had actually made it. So again, if you're trying to up your dinner game, let Zupans help you not only with the finest quality ingredients, but with great recipes, which you can find on their website, uh, zupans.com. 
Let's not let it go without saying that Zupans has an incredible selection of sausages, since that's what you're making. Yep. And uh, I wanted to say one thing. I, I recently had a little West Coast reunion of my East Coast high school school friends uh, out here, and as a little going-away gift, I gave them some of the Christina's Puffcorn that's available at uh, Zupan's, and uh, I just waited for the text to come back after they had all left, and I asked everybody to tell me if they could get, if they could possibly accomplish eating them in uh, more than one bag opening and it's a really tough thing to do what i find interesting court is that when i first saw the christina's puffcorn it was just there were just a few bags at the checkout counter and now they've got barrels full of them in different parts of the store so they are popular that i can say yeah i and, and i can confirm the idea of you open the bag and suddenly you look down and you're more than halfway through that thing and you're like did i just do that yeah. yeah, it's there. It's dangerous stuff because it is food crack, and yep. of course, those of us who are watching our sugar really need to. The trick is you got to pour a little out in a little dish and then put it away because otherwise you're going through the whole bag. Sure, three locations to serve you: McAdam, West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and sign up for that news feed and get great recipes and great deals on their website, zoopans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm Court Johnson from Portland Radio, kink.fm. Yeah, Court, let's get right into it. You said Portland's Food Scene Podcast. We're going to expand our horizons to uh, an experience that I had a couple of times last year that I'll have again, where somewhere along the line on the trip in Hell's Canyon with Canyon Outfitters, I had the realization that this is some this is one of the best food experiences anybody can have uh, in Oregon or Portland. Take the drive out there because Canyon Outfitters who guides on the Snake River, which is absolutely beautiful, also known as Hell's Canyon, um, f- does some incredible food in the best al fresco dining spots in Oregon. Unbelievable. So I thought, um, you know, at the time I thought I'd love to have George and Lynette Hauptman of Canyon Outfitters on the podcast, but there was a relevant reason when it comes to the Portland food scene because they represent one of the best food experiences anybody could have if anybody's willing to take the drive out there and go on their trips uh however the thing about their trips is they're generally closed because they've been doing this for 42 years and they have groups that come back to them year after year after year and we were fortunate enough to put together two trips last year with uh jonathan gill from ringside steakhouse and leaf Gildersleeve and Eric England of Flying Fish. So we took a couple of groups. We have two more groups this year. We're getting close to sold out for those already. So nice. Um, But uh, it took a while to get George and Lynette on 
the horn here. Do we call it the horn court? That's uh, I, well. Uh, <laughs> some people call it the horn. I probably would have to explain that to my kids, Chris. Right. But uh, you know, there was a time where it was referred to as the horn. Yeah, I'm feeling kind of old when I do that. But Lynette and George, they're very youthful, unbelievable on the river. George, having done this for so many years, is still doing a lot of physical labor and. including some of the best cooking on the planet that Lynette preps for him on the river. Um, Unbelievable fried chicken. Craig uh, Peterson of Ringside called it the best fried chicken he's ever had, Riverside. So um, at any rate, I kind of got into that right off the bat. I was so excited to have George and Lynette on the podcast, and I'm really glad this is out there because uh, I believe they are legends in this state and um, their treasures. And uh, I am so happy that I happened to meet them on a trip to halfway that wasn't even planned. We were on our, my girlfriend and I were on our way back from Stanley, Idaho. We were looking for a good halfway spot on the way back to Portland. We happened upon this Airbnb. It happened to be uh, at Canyon Outfitters, which we didn't know. And I read their little, intro book that was in their space and it talked about they had been done trips to Australia for years and at breakfast I mentioned to uh, George and Lynette hey I did a trip to Australia a couple of years ago or last year and they said oh we've done many and there went the idea to bring Portland chefs on the river so um, we've been doing that. Does this make sense to you, Court? Was this a little discombobulated the way I? No, no, no. This? I think I, I, no. I, th- I think it makes sense. I mean, uh, for maybe somebody that's a newcomer, uh, try, you know, if somebody understands the the evolution of Chris Angeles and Portland Food Adventures, which was your attempt to bring local Portland chefs closer to uh, to food fans, and that's where Portland Food Adventures came about then the next evolution was taking these local portland chefs with a group of of portlanders to uh either their home countries or an area of special specialty uh which by the way chris we should talk about your your trips because you do still have some availability in your trips that are happening um but but then again and then the third phase of this was the was the uh was the river river tours where you have a portland chef on the tour so it all makes sense chris that's what i'm saying that was my long way of saying it all makes sense we we have we both have long ways of saying things however i'm going to say in this case it it couldn't have been cooler because jonathan gill at ringside is an outdoorsman you can see that i see that on his instagram and his facebook he loves fishing the guy is very at home doing it he was the first one in 40 years as george tells us to go down the river in a kayak and make it all 30 plus miles without tipping over. Uh, And uh, then also, man, Leaf Gildersleeve are probably the one of the, well, one of the guys who represents, at least in the restaurant industry, the closest to rivers and fish than anybody could possibly be to go out and fish with him was the consummate portland food adventures experience i thought and we're doing it again this year so quickly we're almost sold out this year but there are some spots remaining the ringside trip is august 20 uh yeah august 21st through the 25th and the flying fish trip not that i 
I should have put them in chronological order, um, is uh, July 17th through the 21st. And so they're awesome trips. We also have available um, a trip to Sicily in September. And I urge anybody interested in Western Sicily who hasn't been, it's unbelievable. We go with Austria Ensign, who is just a... uh, has just mastered the art of Italy with us. Uh, so that's in September. Any trips that we have, including those to Spain, which are pretty much sold out this year, portlandfoodadventures.com. Um, so you can go and see itineraries and pricing and all that good stuff. So yeah, full dis- disclosure on this podcast, uh, we're fe- we're featuring uh, lots of people involved with the podcast and Portland Food Adventures. Ringside Steakhouse, of course, is a sponsor of this podcast. And of course, I'm doing business with them and with Canyon Outfitters and with Flying Fish. So, um, But they're all cool things. I wouldn't be doing them unless they were cool, and I wouldn't be talking about them unless they were cool. So... Uh, no, I got to say, Chris, uh, last summer, because um, I, I, I know you knew going into uh, your your first river tours last year in concept, they were a great idea. But I remember uh, hanging out with you maybe a week or so after your, your first trip, and you were just glowing with excitement about how great of an experience it was, just the the uh, riverside camping that was taking place, the meals that were prepared there. And another thing that stood out to you that I remember that I really need to get, get in on is the disconnect from technology. I mean, at times you are away from cell phone towers and you're disconnected from the, the whole world. time. And that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, the whole time. And I will say this, that the camping. So I had said, to uh, Lynette, when we were planning this, uh, I said, I don't necessarily know that I need to go on that second trip. And she said to me, oh, you're going to want to go after you go on the first one. And she was so right. Listen, I don't, I'm not one for setting up tents and campsites. They do it all for you. You show up at the campsite and you're, you pick a tent and or there's a tent and you put your stuff there and the cots there with cush with you know a uh, a cushion and all the meals are prepared for you you don't really need to do anything but just set put put your sleeping bag out that's it and the food is fantastic along the way so um yeah no and i'm looking forward to going on both again this year it's not necessarily have i had this experience i don't need to do it again it's like you enjoy it and you want to do it. So um, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, we have quite a few people already who've called back who went last year who want to go again this year. And that's been the nature of Canyon Outfitters business. As I said, for 40 years, it's groups of people, companies or families that have been doing this for 30, 40 years every year that just plan the same trip. So uh, now here I went again court (laughs) so i think we've got the idea i think the proof is in the pudding and the proof is in our interview with george and lynette hauptman of canyon outfitters i hope that everyone our listeners enjoy this halfway as much as i did right at the fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. 
Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. And by Portland Food Adventures. Join our host, Chris Angelis, and his colleague, Austri Enzyme, next September for a wildly delicious adventure through Western Sicily. Palermo, Marsala, and lots in between. Book now to make sure you don't miss the best of Sicily. Since 2015, PFA has been taking Portlanders on incredible journeys with Portland chefs and artisans to Europe and beyond. Check out the trips tab at portlandfoodadventures.com for Sicily, Spain, and more. Or contact Chris through the website right now while you're listening to the podcast. I've been counting down this opportunity for a long time, George and Lynette. I, we met, uh, was it two years ago now? Yeah, two, uh, almost two years ago. And we've had some time to spend together. And here we are, the first time online, virtually, which I know this is not necessarily easy for you folks in halfway Oregon. Right. You're not very digitally inclined, I would imagine. You're river inclined. Yeah. Chris, here we think of a podcast as what happens when your fishing rod slips out of your hand. There you go. You know, I should have used that as an explanation. When pe- when we first started this back in 2014, I would I should have told people that when they said, what's a podcast? I said, go get a fishing rod and I'll, I'll give, you, give you a clue. But at any rate... Um, Thank you so much for joining us. I've been wanting to have you on this podcast for a while, and um, I guess it's appropriate now insofar as we just put our 2022 trips uh, that are available with you folks. We're so lucky to be able to do it. I explained in our intro how we met, so that's been done, and it's one of the true... um, pleasures of my life here in Oregon that I happened to run in to you two uh, <laughs> staying at your Airbnb a couple of years ago. And since then, it's been nothing nothing but fantastic. I've spent, I can't believe you're still talking to me, George, after spending eight days on a river with me. <laughs> my, after, after, after the summer, my jaw hurts for about two months. So is that it? Summer. Is that, is that all that hurts? Yeah, well, yeah, no. Uh, chemicals, chemicals help your body function better by the end. Yeah, of the well, I will say the work that you do um, is just incredible to me because you're out there running a team of uh, what do you got? Like six people out there yeah, with, with you. Six. six people, and um, and you're doing a lot of the physical labor, which you've been doing for. What forty years now on the on the Snake Actually, River? How many years have you been out there? Uh, this this season will be our forty second year in Hell's Canyon, and uh, I started guiding about forty six years ago. So, and we're we're gradually winding down. I can still do it, but uh, at the end of the day, you pay us a price. Right, but I will say that having been out there with you, it doesn't look like you're winding down. You're, you know, who else is cooking fried chicken for 20 people on the river? And who else? I mean, you're still doing the physical labor. You got six, you have, you have some very strong young people with you, and um, they do a lot of the heavy lifting, but you do some of it. Yeah, it's, uh, you, you, you 
tend to pick and choose what you can do at a certain point. So, well, Lynette, you figured it out. You uh, you do the cooking the first night. You prep a lot of the incredible food that that George is preparing on the river came from you, and so you figured out you're not out there on the river every day. No, I used to be, but um, it's can't do both. So um, I have good help here uh, to help me get ready for the trip. And, um, yeah, it's just I guess we've been doing it so long we have it down. Yeah, well, you got those dogs helping you too, two oh, of the yeah. sweetest oh. dogs. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, they're helping. But so let's talk a little bit. I would like to uh, – structure this so we're going a little bit backwards i'd like to start by talking about what canyon outfitters actually does and what your strengths are and why uh you know there are a number of uh companies that do this in many rivers um i can vouch for you in terms of how special uh how special hell's canyon is but also um your hospitality is like no other, and we're out on a river for for four days. Uh, but talk a little bit about you know what Canyon Outfitters does now, how you got to where you are now, and uh, what you love about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know we, boy, the whole operation started as a kind of an afterthought uh, forty two years ago, and we started out small. We haven't got a lot larger. Um, it just, boy, we still have some of the same clientele that we had when we started in, uh, in the late seventies. And, um, you know, it's, it, it, we have a, we have a good time doing what we do. Uh, all our guests, a lot of our guests really enjoy the rivers, but they're the ones that keep us going. Uh, their enthusiasm. We're so fortunate to have a really, really good clientele. And, um, you know, they just bring the trip with them. They bring the enthusiasm. They bring the excitement. And that keeps us going. That's at the end of the year. Um, all their input just makes us feel really good about what we've done. And the input comes about insofar as you just cited it. You've had people with you since the late 70s. So the fact that people are booking the same trip over and over and over, I can I can repeat that 40 times, um, to come with you is quite a statement. And I can say we just put our uh, 2022 trips up last night. And uh, within an hour, we had someone who went last year asking to sign them up this year again. So that you know, what, what everyone should understand is most of your bookings are private are done privately. These are not, you don't have a website where you're asking people to sign up for trips, the public to, to get together. You have groups who know each other, generally speaking, who, who go on your trips. So, um, and they, from what I understand, they absolutely adore you and love the river. Otherwise they wouldn't do it year after year. You know, Chris, they it, they end up family. It's uh, we have we have close friends that we you know we met thirty forty years ago that still go with us, and uh, 
Yeah, it's a good thing. I 20 minutes ago, I was on the phone with the gentleman who's uh, going in August with us. And he was the person who licensed me in 1980 on the river. And he worked as a guide for us uh, 42 years ago. And uh, he's he's been in his own business for the last 35 years. And they go down the river with us. So it's, it's just... It's just a lot of good friends and a lot of good people we take down the river. And it's a, you, you, you are based in a small community there, halfway Oregon, which is not, you know, a lot of people, I think, from here, it takes a while to even discover the Eagle Cap Wilderness and, and uh, Joseph and Enterprise in that area. But halfway isn't. I would liken it to where I live, where there's Cannon Beach and then there's Manzanita. Halfway isn't the first place people go. And it's not a big tourist destination because there aren't a lot of places to stay. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm listening. Um, Sorry, Chris. <laughs> you're listening. You're observing. You can chop that bit out. <laughs> yeah. Mark it down. Mark down your time. Yeah. Um, you know, I do have something I want to say, but... Um, as far as how do we do what we do, the real truth is with this business, you can't fake it because it's, it's physically and mentally exhausting. And we spend a lot of, a lot of energy into, um, getting ready for a trip and the group arrives. And they show up here on our deck. And often we're, we're pretty tired. But once you see these people come up here onto the deck, ready for dinner, they're excited. It's like a huge shot of adrenaline for us. And it's genuine. You can't fake that. It's um, a real love of... Um, I don't know how you say it, customer. Yeah, it's hospitality. Customer satisfaction. Yeah, I, um, you know, I think one of the uh, great, the, the aspects to that make, makes a lot of sense is you know your customers generally when they're showing up every year. So here they are again, and you see these happy faces that you like. I would imagine you wouldn't be doing this if you didn't like exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I know last year it was a little bit of a leap of faith for you to do trips with us because now all of a sudden you got people you don't know coming. <laughs> yeah. And frankly, I didn't know them either. They were, they were generated through my Portland Food Adventures following, but largely from ringside and flying fish. And here you are answering questions of people that you never really had to answer before because when you have repeat groups coming every year, they don't have any questions for you. They know what to expect. Right. So um, it's, I think that is one of the aspects that has made it sustainable for you is that you don't have to start all over with a new group and make new friends every right. single time, especially groups that don't know each other. You know, Chris, what we see is people have gone down the river with us. They had it. They enjoyed it. They want to share it with their friend, if they were, if they were part of another group. So they put a group together themselves and we can see it when they show up here. They're going, uh, are you still going to have fried chicken? Are you still going to, uh, 
They, they want to make sure that what they've told their friends is what's going to happen. So, so you have all these expectations that you have to meet. And uh, if you meet it, they have a good time. We see that in people that they worry that perhaps they've oversold it. And we figured out way, way back at the beginning that that the key to this is consistency. There's no doubt that every single trip has to be the same quality from down to table settings. Everything has to be perfect every single time and it's kind of hammering that into the guides is a challenge sometimes because they're tired and it's tempting to cut corners. But we point out to them, Every time, maybe it's your 15th trip of the year, but it's their one trip of the year. So it doesn't matter. It has to be perfect. And yeah, that's there's a lot of variables out there, though. But so making it perfect Uh is kind of a is kind of a high bar when you're out on a, a river with not only the river, which, you know, up, you know, six ways to Sunday, thank, thankfully, but you don't know how people are. You got the, the element of people and, and, and rocky shores and all sorts yeah. of different things that are variable. So, uh, yeah, it's a high bar. And I remember when I said to you, I don't know if I necessarily need to go on two. And your response, Lynette, was, well, all I'll tell you is after you're on the first one, you're going to want to go on the second one. So, <laughs> and, and that was so true so um it was really really special yeah it's there is slight uh variations every trip's different for sure but we are in control of the ultimate um how do you say it? the the experience the, the experience yeah and we're, we try to work on stuff all the time we're working on the weather we're trying to see if we can uh Cool it down a little bit sometimes in the summer and in the fall, warm it up a little. We're working on that. We haven't quite got that down yet. Well, you can talk to the, you can talk to the Chinese about that. I understand <laughs> they're working on, on altering the weather. Yeah. But I will say this. The first trip we took last year around July 4th was – it was very hot, especially for someone who moved to Oregon coast, the move to the Oregon coast, because I like the cooler weather. But I'll tell you, just putting on a shirt, I, I, I harped about it the second trip, but putting a, on a, a nice uh, shirt and just diving in that water, cooling off every two hours, it made 95 degree temperatures on the river very bearable. And as, as a matter of fact, Downright pleasant on top of it. So, you know, there's, you don't have to worry there's no humidity down there, Chris. So, you really don't sweat. And the water temperature of the river uh, through the summer runs about 72 degrees, give or take a degree. And as you're floating down the river, uh, you've got, you know, the water's not hot, it's just pleasant. And it keeps you reasonably cool on the water. So, it's uh, even when we hit some stretches of pretty hot weather, um, it's not that unbearable. It's fairly comfortable. So what I was extremely impressed by was your knowledge of every 
linear foot of that river. I mean, literally, you had a story. I'm sure you only probably told 5% of the stories you know. But every it seemed to me that you had a story whenever you wanted to start telling about that particular spot or, or a family that might have lived over there, you had a story. So knowing that at some point you're going to want to slip out of that business because you can only do it for so long, is it, I mean, I, I said to a lot of people, we are so fortunate to be on the river with Lynette and George because there is not a human being in Idaho or Oregon who knows this river better. And so do you think it's, is it going to be the same? Will Canyon Outfitters be the same the, the day that you two are able to maybe sell it in the future and, and there's somebody else operating it? You know, what we're doing, Chris, is we're trying to, we're trying to write down uh, what we've learned about the river. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to take a lot of the old timers down. They're all gone now. All of them that grew up lived in the canyon. Uh, the canyon is actually their home. We were fortunate enough to take a number of those on river trips with us, listen to their story, and we're trying to record it, write it down. Our guides, um, our guides are learning it well, and we are going to transition. I mean, it gets to a certain point where you're just, uh, boy, your body. Uh, just won't allow you to do quite what we do anymore. And well, we are going to pass it on, and we feel a real responsibility to our to our guests to make sure that when we pass this business on, that it retains uh, the quality of the trip. And the, and we're trying to pass on to the guides, um, who a number of them will be staying if we do move on, trying to pass on to them uh, a lot of the information, a lot of the history down there, and just uh, try to retain the, try to retain that on those river trips. It, it would seem to me that, to be that you're a sponge, though, because as you said, you took some of the old timers down that river. And, you know, I am the type of person, I, if you asked me to recite what you told us last year, I wouldn't be able to tell you much. Maybe standing in front of that <laughs> old cabin, I'd remember some of the aspects. But I believe you are a sponge because you had so much specific information about timelines and family names and all that occurred. You had, and you're on a river, by the way. You're not sitting there. And I know you. You don't have a. You don't have a recorder <laughs> on you. You don't have a pad and a pen. You had to suck that information in and remember it. And I guess reciting it year after year helps you to remember it too you know after i've got over a thousand four-day trips down there and uh every every place i look a story pops into my brain yeah. <laughs> and my mouth tends to make it tends to come out of my mouth so i um i've just been fortunate to learn all of it and you know, I talk too much down there. I come home, my jaw hurts, and I go, what did I just do for four days? I didn't shut up. We've been really lucky, too, in having um, geologists and archaeologists down there, um, historians, and it's we've had... We had a lot of good teachers. Some first-class, yeah, teachers, for sure. So... Um, 
Talk a, a little bit. I, I, I don't want to make this a promotion for our trips, but I find it interesting in that it was a little odd for you last year with our trips to have professional chefs on in the camps with you doing something new and, uh, you know, do, getting off of your regular menu, at least for a couple of meals, especially the last night where you were assisting instead of driving the show. You know, the chef really added a, an element to the trip that we'd never experienced. We learned an incredible amount from them. And we learned just how much we don't know. <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah. It was fun to see them work in our element, but also see them bring the um, some of their culinary tricks to a river kitchen. It was it was yeah. really fun. Yeah, we have we have well, also. I'm sorry. I was going to say they they brought some culinary tricks to the me the recipes you've had for years. The ceviche, I understand, under has undergone a little bit of an alteration since <laughs> since uh, was it Jonathan or was it no, Leaf? It who, was Leaf. 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 Yeah. Gildersleeve at Flying um, Fish. That yeah, that was just yeah. it was fun. Pure what, fun. What was so interesting, Chris, is that they explained how the seasoning, how the preparation affected what we were doing and why certain things went together. I mean, we have a, we've got a repertoire that we follow, that we've learned how to do it. And we don't do incredibly complicated meals down there, but we just do good food. And uh, they explained how we can enhance it, how we can do different flavorings, how we can, and, uh, and they really explained it well, and it was it was like a, it was like a class they gave us. It was great. Well, I'm so glad that that happened. And you know, even before any chef got involved with you, uh, I, you know, I was sitting out there uh, many nights and able to think. And I thought, you know, here I have this podcast, and I've been curating, quote unquote food experiences for, for Portlanders. And this is one of the true gem food experiences that anyone can have, not only in Oregon, but anywhere, uh, to be on the river with you eating your, your, your breakfast. Everybody loved your pancakes, the way you prepared them. Masses of bacon that were perfectly done, that was perfectly done. Uh, the, the lunches with the, the fish cooked perfectly um just incredible and then i think that fried chicken where my friend craig who's only you know owns ringside steakhouse said that was hands down the best fried chicken he's ever had in his life and i listen i'm going to give you a lot of credit for that but i'm also going to give <laughs> the canyon just a little credit because every bit of food anything you eat there is seasoned a little bit by the environment and the beauty that surrounds you <laughs> yeah World's be most beautiful dining room, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And w as far as the chicken goes, Chris, somewhere between seven and 9,000 chickens have passed away for our trips down there. So I've had a lot of practice and found out what, what works well and what doesn't. So. Right. And you owe them. <laughs> you, owe, you owe the chickens and your guests <laughs> do. to do it as well I as do. you do it. I, as time goes on, I feel more and more sorry about the chickens. So. Well, if you have if you haven't become vegan yet, I think that uh, those chickens aren't safe going forward. 
We do vegan too. We've done that on uh, on a number of yeah, trips. We had one guest who had reminded me months earlier um, of, I believe it was veganism, and then I dropped the ball a little bit. And then you guys, I said to you right as we were about to launch, hey, we have one vegan guest with us, and you didn't miss a beat, man. You didn't know it ahead of time, but you ran down to the store and, and stocked up for one vegan guest that whole trip. And um, you, again, that is professionalism, and that is making sure everybody has the best possible experience. Yeah. Well, there those the only reason we're on the river, Chris, is because of our guests. That's our they are what we focus on, and um, it's a beautiful part of the world. It's an incredible canyon, uh, incredible history down there, but. The guests need to be comfortable, and they need to be safe, and uh, they need to be taken care of. I mean, they're in a different environment. Our job is to make sure that they have an enjoyable experience in an environment that they're not used to living in. So, Well, I would guess not much has changed in the 40 years that you've been doing it with regard to the guests in the river, because... At the at the key thing is it's off grid. There is nobody who has cell coverage there. So I think the coolest thing is you know going in you're going to have a relaxing experience without yeah. um, the without being connected. Of course you can have you have a phone for photos and whatever little stupid apps that still operate. But still, yeah. it's uh, it's really nice to see people not on their phone for four days and enjoying. And we saw. I don't know if I don't know if we've spoken about it since. You remember the bear that we saw on that last trip, and I got a little close. You were uh, kind of <laughs> nicely nudging me and saying, "Hey, Chris, you're taking a little long with those photos, and you're a little close." You're... Uh, yeah, it's uh, we do. You know, the bears down there. Uh, there's quite a population, and we see them. We see them a lot of trips down there. We see bear, so it's. Uh, there, we there, saw um, deer, and deer, and we saw quite a few eagles. And what else do you see? Uh, big horns. We see bighorn sheep. Uh, probably, probably the majority of our trip, we'll see a herd of bighorns. Uh, early and late trips, we see uh, mountain goats. Uh, we'll see otters. There's two or three families of otters that live on the river. Uh, we see mink occasionally. Um, elk, uh, elk early and late. In the summer, in the summer, it's warm enough down there. The big game, except for the big horns, tend to be up higher. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. What struck me was your stories of people who lived way up high, and you know that is what is that? The, that's the deepest river gorge. Uh, it's the in deepest, the country. Is that? It's the deepest river canyon in the continental U.S. And okay. on the Idaho side, it's 9,700 feet to the top. On the Oregon side, it's 7,000 feet. And wow. And you talked about how families lived winters on those yeah. peaks. Oh, right now, I looked yesterday, and at Pittsburgh Landing, which is right where we do our river trips, at Pittsburgh, they have a no weather station. And it was a high of 46 degrees. The high here in halfway was, was 30. It has, uh, there's probably six inches of green grass on the ground. Up here, there's uh, above 6,000 feet above that weather station, three miles away, there's seven foot of snow. 
So it's a microclimate down in the bottom of that canyon. It's, it's pretty interesting. Wow. And you know it. You knew where all the fish were. You knew every rapid, how to navigate it. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the fishing because I'm not much of a fisher. Can you say fisherman anymore? I guess in halfway you can. Fisher but, person. You know, is it fisher person now? Is it all of a sudden has it become yep. fisher person? Yep. Fisher persons, fisher, let's keep right. it. Right, uh, so a fisher. So talk a little bit about the fishing there and why um, I couldn't, you caught so many and then having leaf down there was insane watching the two of you just, <laughs> and, but the, the greatest part, the big, biggest thrill is watching the guests catch so many fish because it's so many abundant. If, if my memory serves me correctly, my girlfriend Renee was the only one that caught a sturgeon last year. And yeah. that was a, that was a huge thrill for both of us. You know, the, the smallmouth bass fishery in the Canyon is incredible. It's one of the best, it's one of the best fisheries in the in the U.S. for smallmouth bass. It's um, I don't know what the biomass is down there, but it's not difficult to catch dozens of fish in a day. Um, we have a we have a lot of people who've never fished before, and we we basically we use rubber grubs um, for the bass, and you just drop it over the side of the boat and. In a lot of cases, within 30 seconds, the fish has grabbed it, and you're, you pull it up, unhook it, turn him loose, name him, turn him loose, and go catch another one. Um, there's also, everyone calls them trout, but they're steelhead smolts uh, that stay in the river. So they, I mean, they're identical to rainbow trout. There's a good population of those every summer. Uh, sturgeon run, the biggest we've caught down there is 10 foot four. Uh, they average between six and eight feet, and um, they're all catch and release. Very careful how you we use uh, iron hooks, so they rust out. All hooks barbless. Um, we use Dacron thicker line, so the line won't cut them. And they're they're uh, they live up to a hundred years. So there's some. We see fish that are older than anyone on the trip that have been in that river since before the dams went. Except for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's hey, I used to Chris, I used to be the youngest person on the trip. Now I look around and often I'm the oldest, and that scares me. Isn't that unbelievable? You know, I found in the last few years when you look at uh, you know, your classmates or people that are your age and you look and go, God, they're old, and then you realize they're they're the same age. So it happens. It happens. But uh, I don't think any sturgeon will get insulted if you call them old. <laughs> We've had them. Yeah, they're they're pretty. They're an incredible uh, fish. And just we had a blind woman years ago. She'd been blind from birth. She was uh, about forty, and she came down the river with her with her friend, her, her mother and friends, and. Uh, we hooked a sturgeon and we were at a spot where we could get everyone out of the boat onto a little sandbar. And she said, can I see it? Can I see it? And by seeing it, she meant, could she feel it? And we got her in the water with this fish and it was probably about six foot long. And she's just feeling it over, all over. And all of a sudden she just started bawling. Just tears came. And we said, what is wrong? It was Susan, Susan, what's wrong? And she said, all my life, 
I've read about these. I've heard about them. I have no idea what they were. Now I know what a surgeon is. So, yeah, I know what a surgeon, yeah, what it is and what it looks, looks like. like. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, uh, I'm sure there's, she experienced a lot on that same trip, right? There were mm -hmm. apricots growing on the trees. And, you know, I loved watching our chefs forage uh, on their time, <laughs> the little time that they had. They were coming back with berries and mushrooms and apricots. So he, he, I uh, imagine that yeah, she, she Jonathan, to experience a lot. I think, yeah, I think with Jonathan, he, uh, he made a sauce that we put over Lynette's cheesecake. Yeah she made for the trip and uh it, it was incredible the apricot sauce was very good well i love the fact that he just took it upon himself to go yeah. get it and then and then cook it the way it should have been uh cooked prepare it the way it should have been prepared and i i'm sure lynette that is a joy for you to know that your cheesecake that you've been making for many years all of a sudden got a a little jolt. Yep, for sure. And don't worry, I'm following. The, I've taken that lead. I'm, I'm doing apricot sauce. Probably not as good as his, but uh, yeah. it's, well, it's, he's going to be he's going to be looking for uh, some uh, some commissions in the form of fried chicken <laughs> this coming year. Well, it, it's it's considered bad form to poach guides, but we've offered John Jonathan a permanent position. And Leaf, I think you were yeah. you were on Leaf before he even you even met him in person last year, knowing his background. What a, yeah, what yeah, a we did. Yeah. Chris, we are going to pause here a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, a uh, Portland institution, as it were, Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, and uh, 78 years, I understand now, and it was the 75th pre-pandemic, and now, boy, that, that time went fast. 78 years, we should cover the necessary particulars about what they're doing now. They're offering indoor dining and uh, heated and covered outdoor dining, and they're also doing to-go, which I want to talk about in a second, but also they're doing seating in the bar as though it was the restaurant, so that beautiful bar that they just rented a few years ago is now kind of part of the dining room but it's it's got a cool vibe to it so um so all sorts of the hours are uh, four to nine on weekends or four to nine thirty on saturday actually four thirty to nine thirty on friday five to nine wednesday and thursday so they're closed now on monday and tuesday although if you check in sometimes they will be open on tuesday um also, this week uh, coming up, they're going to be closed Sunday for Super Bowl Sunday. I once went in for a happy hour a few years ago and learned that the hard way. So they're not open on Super Bowl Sunday, but they are open the day after on Valentine's Day for reservations, 4 to 9 p.m. And also, if you call an hour and a half, ahead you can get to go your food to go i just did a party with 10 people at my house ringside provided all the food and it was spectacular we had new york strip boneless new york strip steaks which were easy for me to do on the grill and then slice up the mashed potatoes all sous vide were fantastic we got ingredients for salad hazelnuts two types of dressing 
green beans, uh, and oh, lobster tails as well. And uh, it was really easy to do. And also for dessert, very simple, some of the best toffee you're ever going to have. You just throw that on a plate and it's all good. So we were looking for something that was less work intensive and ringside provided it. It's very nice. So whether it be for a special occasion like Valentine's Day, and we should recommend get those reservations made right away, or a special occasion happening at your place, Ringside Steakhouse has you covered. Yeah, and you can find them on Open Table or at ringsidesteakhouse.com for reservations, or you can call them at 503-223-1513. That's 223-1513 for reservations and uh, to order something to go. So I know when you, Lynette, you were able to, I know you really wanted to come have the dinner with Ringside with Jonathan the first trip around July 4th, and then the inclement weather prevented you from being able to fly out to meet us for that night. That's right. It was true, was it? Yeah, I can't remember what happened, but I did make it to the flying fish trip. And right, so you worry, came and you had to year. you had to move through the wafting marijuana that Leaf was uh, Leaf was partaking in. I remember you looked at me and said, "Is this really?" Uh, you just kind of looked at me like, um, you know, this is something we're used to, like right in front of guests. But it's 2022, right? No, I know it is, but you know what? guy. But the thing is that river guides are notorious for enjoying yeah. the weed and we are absolutely adamant there is absolutely no river guide smoking weed on the river it's it's yeah, totally yeah. unacceptable and then i come down there and i'm <laughs> smelling and i looked at each guide in the eye and thought uh, okay no who's, who's getting fired yeah yeah. yeah and, <laughs> but it was Lee. Yeah. So that was, a that was a tough position for you to be in with your guides because, like, you can't do this, but that exactly. guy, I <laughs> guess, we can't control him. Yep. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's, a, it's a tough position, but we just – you never know when you might have to be 100%, and uh, all the guides are pretty much required to like, – what they do off the river is, is their business, but on the river, we're – It's our business. Our, our first responsibility is to our guests and being able to take care of any problems that arise. So, I'll tell you the truth. And they were they were just uh, they were so superior in getting everything done and being gracious about it because you know these guys are locals from halfway, and you got Portlanders coming in for a ringside trip, and I'm sure in the back of their mind they have certain thoughts, but they were very gracious. And I also find it. Um, you know, who knows what the compliance rate is on your edict that they can't, they can't smoke because they're in this incredibly beautiful area, which any pot smoker is thinking, I need, I want to get high right now. But I, I commend them for being as, um, just as great as they were. Everybody loved your guides. It was, uh, you know, they were just a fantastic crew of people. And as I said, and, you know, and then having, a number of people on the trip saying, I, I don't know which boat my, I left my, the cooler where my wine is. Uh, it's the Chateau St. Michel. And then these guys would have to leave and run down to the boats and find that exact bottle. It wasn't easy. 
that's one of our that's one of the things we haven't solved, Chris, is when we have nine couples, separate couples on a trip with nine separate uh, amounts of varying drinks, keeping track of them is very difficult. So, I'm sure there's a digital, there must be a digital solution that you're not aware there's of. There's an app for that, for that sure. Yeah, there's an app. <laughs> Exactly. There's an app for that. But I, I'm not a big drinker. So when we couldn't find ours, I just kind of said, oh, fuck it and drank whatever was around. So, um, but no, I will say uh, you, you do an incredible job and they do an incredible job. They make the trip, by the way, because each day you're in a, a raft with a guide. And, you know, if, if they're, they're all good and they're, some people fish and some people don't. They're really excellent at uh, making everybody feel comfortable, no matter what level of participation they wish to enjoy. Yeah, we're, we're fortunate. We've got a good crew and um, they all care. They all care and try. And that's, that's, uh, that's, that's important that they have the, the, the will to do it properly, I guess. So, Winters and halfway, you used to avoid them and go to Australia, <laughs> right? And <laughs> we and we had an accountant. He's he's since he's since gone, but we had an accountant here in halfway for for twenty years. And we come back from Australia every year for for eighteen years. We had a tour company down here, a little bus company, and our guests would fly. They were all. All from the U.S. here, and the, the majority of them we had a connection with, and they'd fly down there. We take them on a three-week uh, tour across Australia, and uh, but anyway, we'd get we we'd come home, and our accountant would go, "Quit doing that! Quit doing that! You're you're losing money. You need to stay here and pay attention to your business here." And we go, "Well, we're really having a good time." So that's what we did for well, eight years. And it's if a anybody, quality of life issue. Anybody that's familiar with a halfway Oregon winter, then it doesn't need any explanation why yeah. we, we did this way. We were looking at plane tickets yesterday, going, "What are we doing?" I'm I'm looking out. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking out the window right now, Chris, and where you park here in our driveway, the snow is about eight foot high, piled up. Oh no! And there's 18 inches of snow on the flat. Uh, we woke up this morning to nine degrees, and uh, the high yesterday was was twenty four. So, and it's snowing and right it's, now, and we and are, it's not like you're looking at a calendar thinking, well, it'll just be a few days and we'll be out of the woods here. No, no it goes. It, it's been right. like, it's been like this since uh, Thanksgiving. Oh no, actually, yes, yeah, there. right yeah. around Thanksgiving. So we haven't seen anything but sepia tone for couple of months and we are we've we've had enough yeah <laughs> how are the dogs handling that the dogs love it oh they love it they're uh well it's eight feet though <laughs> yeah they, it at the the coldest it got was minus i think minus eight and uh we let the dogs out that morning and it, it still it was probably minus two or minus three at daylight and they would they didn't want to come in they were out there for two hours, just having a grand time. Oh well, they're they're lucky dogs. Right. I got a lucky dog here, but I will remind you, 
You don't have to go to Australia. I have invited you. You have a standing invitation to come out here where it was 56 degrees <laughs> this weekend. And it's got the same forecast for this weekend. So if you can get here, um, we'll not only do that, but we'll swing by ringside. And we need to make a trip to Flying Fish. You need to go to his to Leaf's and Eric's restaurant. Right. So, <laughs> you be careful now. Careful I'm the king of guilt. For. Yeah, we we, uh, we have just about had enough of this, and we've probably got a still what, two months of it to go. So yeah. don't be surprised. We're, we're trying. What we're trying to do, Chris, is we build a new warehouse. Uh, we've always run our business out of our basically our home here. We've run it out of this for you know, last forty years, and we built. Hey, a new George, can I ask you to move to forward a little bit? George, may I ask you to move forward a little bit? You're a little far well, away from the I'm mic. too far away. Yeah. Oh, okay. We uh, what I was what I was going to say is we built a new warehouse and we're trying to finish that right now. Trying to get it finished off. And you've been working on that for a while. So right now you have a pretty nice scenario there with your home and your your warehouse. Mm -hmm. And even that little Airbnb, which afforded us the opportunity to meet, and I th and I'm very indebted to that little Airbnb that you have. Um, and then maybe you'll have more Airbnbs someday, well, uh, where people can stay in halfway. Actually, I think since we've we talked last, we've actually bought some um, property in Baker City, and we're going to be building a house there this summer. And oh. We have sold our house here. <laughs> oh, so, so you're moving from that? Are you in so, two, two years? Two years. In, so that everybody's kind of uh, it's an intimate group in halfway. Well, I'm selling it to you, but it's going to be in two years. Yeah, you have put, to it, wait. put it this way: the, the girl who decided she wanted our place here, when we told her we're we're trying to move our business on, it it physically it's time to do it. Retire. And mm -hmm. uh, so she said, if if you sell your business, are you going to be? And we told her we bought a, a a property in Baker to build on. And she said, so are you going to sell your place? And we go, yeah. She says, well, I want it. Here's what you'd be asking. We go, yeah. She said, okay, I'll take it. But she said, I don't want to move in until twenty till December thirty first, twenty twenty four. We said, fine. <laughs> So <laughs> wow, that that kind of works perfectly for you. It takes the pressure off. Right. You know what? You know you got a sale. That's great. Yep, it's under contract, and we are. We've got three years to to make it work. But if we want to leave before then, then they will make that happen too. And we do. We we'd like to build the house next summer, and we'll start on it. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Okay. How it, how does it work that you're going to be on the river doing your trips? Don't ask. And building a house in Baker Chris, City. That's an additional Chris, hour away Chris, from the river. So now you're talking two hours away from the river. Chris, don't ask. don't ask. Don't ask. We also have a, <laughs> the warehouse to finish up. We've got all the equipment to make sure it's in good shape. We have uh, you know, a house to build in Baker. We've got uh, right now... We've got 22 trips booked, so we're we're uh, we start the 12th of May, and every year, come the first week in November when we're on the river, I go, "Why am I here this late? I won't do that again." And I just booked the second, third, fourth, fifth of November yesterday. So, seems like a good well, idea. 
Your trips in November are a little different than the ones in the in the summer. I they are. We take wall tents, heaters, uh, tent heaters, boat heaters, um, and smaller groups. It's small groups and mainly fishing, but some some checker hunting. And uh, with a wall tent, everyone can be comfortable, warm. Uh, it and there's we have the river to ourselves. There's no one down there, so it's a uh, it's it's a good trip. We, uh, but the days get short, run out of time. Yeah, they're really, well, they're starting to get a little longer now. So I would like to, speaking of shorter days and longer days, I'd like to take us back to when days seemed a little longer to when you two met. I'd lo I love that story. Um, and it's, it's a romantic story. So you've been together for how many years now? Um, 30. Six, 37 ish ish yeah 37 ish that's a, that's a good answer well yeah. you know what? no one's now, committing to a specific time we barely even keep count because our wedding anniversary is at the end of august and at, we're never together so we're, george is always on the river so it just kind of is it goes by without notice but yeah more than half my Well, you're time. together now in the winter. You're very together right now in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, and that's, it, that's the hard part of it because we spend, we spend over six months a year together, 24 hours a day. And uh, we like each other. We enjoy it. And all of a sudden, I'm four days on the river, Nets here trying to, trying to deal with, um, the office and everything, and it's... Uh, what do you mean, trying? Trying. Okay. Dealing. <laughs> dealing. <laughs> <laughs> trying would assume you're just going to get it under control at some point. Yeah, I know. It's like I run the show here all summer, and then he's finished <laughs> on the river, and he comes home and starts trying to tell me how to run the place. We had well, I think you should reverse it and say that George is out there on the river trying to, <laughs> to guide people. <laughs> trying to keep it together. Well, yeah. how he feels about that. Hey, <laughs> trust, trust me, Chris, at this point, I am trying every day <laughs> to get, out of the, get off the ground and get moving. So, so let's talk about before you were spending any time together, how you met. Let's, let's hear that story. We I was running, I had, uh, at one point, I had a Rogue River business, uh, Hell's Canyon business from Deschutes River. So I was on the Deschutes River. I was on the Deschutes River with, uh, with a group, and one of our guests was Reverend... Um, George, hey, cut. <laughs> what? What the fuck are you talking about? I'm talking about the night I met you. That wasn't the Deschutes. It was the Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Should I tell the story? Go ahead. No, <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Sorry, we just. Ha I had I'm not cutting that. There's no way I'm cutting that out. That's a classic. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, okay, he's it was on the Rogue River. He's 75. You know. Oh, jeez. We had uh, Reverend Robert Schuler was on the trip. And I had. Oh, I know that guy. I used to sit there and watch him yeah, think, had, I'm going to uh, see what this is all about. I had five, four guides working for me. And uh, we'd come into the lodge, a half moon lodge on the road. We'd come in and uh, we'd be unloading the boats. And I'd run up into the lodge and Willis and Deborah ran it. 
And there was a girl named Urja that was working for him. And I'd run up in and tell her how many guests, confirm the number of guests. And Urja was, how to put it, um, she was one of the rotten, most rotten-tempered person I'd ever met in my life. And I walked in there one night and I said, Urja, we've got 10 guests. And Lynette turned around and I said, where did you come from? And Urja had quit the week before. Lynette was on a round-the-world trip. She was in Seattle. The girl heard her speak. They started talking, and the girl was Willis's sister that had just left the lodge, and Urja had quit. They went on the phone. They, uh, Lynette went into the lodge and worked for three weeks. And I came in every fifth night, and we uh, just, I mean, just really, really, we had a real connection. And when her three weeks was done, I took her out. I gave her a ride uh, back to Portland. She went to Seattle. To, she was leaving to continue her around-the-world trip. Three days later, I was sitting in the office. I had three guys or four guys that I was taking on the Hawaii checker hunting for a week. And the phone rang. I was all loaded, suburban boat, everything's ready to go. And the phone rang, and it was uh, Lynette. Or no, it was Bill, the guy that I was taking down the river. And he said, business blew up. Can't do it. Your check's in the mail. <laughs> Have a good time. I hung the phone up. I'm looking at the truck going, now what do I do? The phone rang, and it was Lynette. You know, there's no cell phone then. She was calling from a payphone and said, uh, I just called to say goodbye. I'm going to leave tomorrow. And I said, I'm not even going to think about it. How would you like to go check her out for a week? And she said, I'm not either. So I picked her up in Portland at the train station, and we've been together ever <laughs> since. <laughs> so how were those? So I could just, you, you were basically speechless when you were trying to describe your connection, quote, unquote. So how was it for those five days out on the river thinking you couldn't wait to get back to see Lynette, right? Because when, when your heart is pitter-pattering like that. No, I was with him. No, when I was, oh. no, when I was gone. Oh, not He said he couldn't wait to see you for the five days, so yeah. uh, he had to be kind of beside himself, yeah. so to speak. Well, you know, it was... Uh, we yeah. just, to, the real truth is, Chris, we just liked each other. And we, it was, it was weird. It was, um, I don't know. He just turned 40. And I actually turned 30 while, when he took me to the Hawaii Reservoir. And, you know, he did his best outfitter Dutch oven chocolate cake and put candles on it for my 30th birthday. We were out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. I mean, I could have been with a serial killer and <laughs> was all good about it. But, yeah, and he asked me to marry Are you him. convinced? Are you convinced uh, this many years later that he's not a serial killer? <laughs> have you figured that out? Yeah, if he was going to kill me, he would have done it. There's plenty of times that he would have done it before now. So, yeah, he actually asked me to marry him while we were there. We had known each other literally a matter of. I keep telling her I was kidding at the time. 
<laughs> yeah, so we we um I cancelled my trip. Um and I stayed. And we went back to it. That was in October. We uh he finished his commitments here uh with his day fishing and things, and we went back to Australia and introduced him to my family. I resigned from my job and um, what did they think about you marrying an American? <laughs> Tell me about your dad. Yeah. Well, yeah, I went back. I actually went a few days before he did because uh, he had to wait for a visa. And um, so I got back to Australia and the family said, well, you know, what are you doing here? I'd only been gone for five months and I had been planning to be gone for a whole year. So I said, well, you know what, it's um, – I met an American, and my dad, <laughs> quite the uh, skeptic, just he just rolled his eyes and so slammed his, his hand down. Very he said, way. Lynette, what, what does this American do for a living? And I said, oh, well, he takes people camping. He's an Australian. <laughs> <laughs> he takes keep people camping and, and fishing and things like that, and my dad slams his hand down on the table and he says, Lynette, nobody camps for a living. And that kind of has been a catchphrase in our family in Australia ever since. But they've all, all my family have been over here over all these 36 yeah. something years. And we, we got married on the family farm, uh, that August. And we planned on doing it in Australia. And then we found out immigration wise, it wasn't going to work. So we heard the wedding up actually had it out on the farm that I grew up on and my parents organized the wedding. In between river trips. In between in between river trips. And uh, I was on the river and they called Lynette. We were we had a home in Salem at the time. They called Lynette and said, come out to the farm tonight. And she goes, I can't. It's dark. I'll get lost. And they insisted. So she walks into the farmhouse down a mile long lane Goes in the house and dad said, open the bedroom doors. There's a, uh, there's some, there's a surprise for you in the bedroom. And she opened the doors and her parents were standing there. So, uh, oh. it was, it was quite yeah. a, quite an emotional, uh, time. So we got married at the family farm and we had only known each other. Well, a year. Not quite a year. Yeah. No, not a year, but. The only people I knew there really was George and his mum and dad and my mum and dad. So it was a pretty interesting event, considering that the whole of uh, <laughs> Brooks and Jervis and Woodburn were invited. And one angel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, not far from not far from this neck of the woods. So, has your did your um, did your father in law <laughs> accept you fairly uh, soon in the process? Yeah. Yeah, we took him down the river, had him camping on a couple different occasions. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it took. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but uh, we would go back to Australia when we were doing our tours there. and So we'd announce, you know, the date that we would be coming, and everybody would get excited because George was, George was coming. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was not. He's the man. Did you have a Lynette? Did you have a lot of experience with outdoors growing up in Australia? Um, no. <laughs> I was a brownie. Does that count? 
Yeah, I remember brownies. Yeah, yeah. I was a brownie. Uh, well, I was a brownie. And she claimed to be an excellent chef, and uh, I didn't realize <laughs> I didn't friend. realize she she wasn't until years after the fact that she'd absolutely. Uh, that. You did. You said yes. I can do very good at, at can, preparing this. I can cook. Yeah. I said I remember saying I could cook. The only thing I could make really was veggie pie. Yeah. And then, Chris, Lynette, before the river trip, Lynette starts about five in the morning here because she had to prepare all the dishes for the river that we take down. I mean, for mainly your lunches. And then she had to prepare dinner that night. And the kitchen, everything just flies. Half the stuff is in midair, floating in midair, diving into various bowls and pans and Stuff's coming in and out of the oven. I, I look at it. It would take me a week to do that. And she does it in about, she does the the morning preparation in about four hours. So, Wow. Well, I would assume at this stage, she's got a routine. Exactly. You're not winging it any longer. That's for sure. So, um, I don't know. So I don't know if you have any of your favorite anecdotes for crazy things that have happened on the river, uh, top of mind right now. But something tells me, George, you can you can pull them out of anywhere. So some of the craziest <laughs> stories of, of things that have happened on the river with regard to well, anything, animals, people, food, fish. Chris, Chris, is this a uh, is this a six or an eight hour podcast? Well, I understand that, but so let's just get some highlights from one or two. We've got about ten or fifteen more minutes <laughs> at most. We can we can end it before that. If one of your stories is uh, is too difficult to swallow, we'll just end it. But I know you've got a few. <laughs> you know, uh, I could talk for hours, but we've had nine foot sturgeon land in the boat with everybody, come completely out of the water, land in the boat, and nobody was. Nobody was hit by the fish. It laid across the boat and after about 10 seconds, flipped back out. But it was exciting. Uh, I've looked hours for people that have gone off hiking that went the opposite direction. I assumed they were going. I assumed they were gone. And, uh, God, I, yeah, the story. So I under, as I understand it, not to, not to focus on the, the perhaps negative, but in 40 all the years you've been doing this, you've only flipped your fishing boat over once, once correct? Yeah. yeah. Once. <laughs> once. And you, I would imagine it was a quick recovery. It was a reasonable recovery. Uh, I lost my glasses, so I couldn't see. I couldn't see the dog. And I could see the other two guests that were with me. And I kept yelling, where's, where's Clancy? Where's Clancy? And... Uh, when we got into camp that night, one of the guests said, we got the boat, recovered it, rolled it over. Everything was fine. One of the guests said, where's Clancy? Where's Clancy? How about Monty? I said, Monty, I can see you. You were okay. <laughs> and the next year, same two guys, same place. Uh, we pulled in. We were scouting wild sheep to run it, which is where I flipped over. And uh, they, were in, they were in another boat. Both of them got into my boat and said, okay, let's see if you can get it right this year. I go, okay. Then I, I spoke, that was 10, 11 years ago, and I spoke to one of them yesterday. He's going down the river with us again in October. Oh, fantastic. And, you know, Jonathan, you said, and he still doesn't believe it, 
that he was the first person you've ever had go on one of your trips the entire distance in the kayak and he, never flip it. He went either. the entire distance and didn't flip. And uh, that was, yeah, that was, we've, we've had people make it through a lot of it, but never in the boat for the entire time and, uh, and never make it like that without flipping. Jonathan did an incredible job. He was uh, yeah, and he's not he's not like this small, nimble guy yeah, either. No. He's not the guy you would look at and say, he's the one who's <laughs> going to accomplish that. Yeah. So and I wondered, you know, this is the cynic in me, whether he really loved the idea of kayaking. And we now know he does because he did so well. Or he was just trying to avoid being with people the whole time. <laughs> and he just wanted to be in the kayak. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. yeah, he had a good time. I I well, I know we were the second day, and he came to me and said, "Could we do this again next year?" So everybody did that, and I know Craig, who was on the trip from Ringside, also loved it. Everybody did. So uh, just a real treat. And as I said, I will have explained in the intro how we met, which is to me a really serendipitous mm-hmm. occasion to have done that and and make some great friends. I truly hope we stay in touch long after you're not doing river trips anymore. And I, and I hope that's for selfishly, I hope that's a while for you. I hope you get out when you need to, or you want to, or when your legs just can't handle it any longer. Um, but it is truly, um, I think one of the, you know, I used to, I used to say that the farm dinners that Plate and Pitchfork did were things that somebody, everybody had to do. And or if you moved to Oregon, you had to do that to have an Oregon experience. And I now wholeheartedly believe that one of the greatest Oregon experiences, and Idaho, I guess, that anybody could have was going down that river with Canyon Outfitters. Yeah. Right? And with you, and, and Canyon Outfitters to me is you, George, and Lynette. So um, truly, truly an honor. And to get you on this podcast, we started talking about this, what, eight months ago? <laughs> and, uh, and what shocked me is last night I said, hey, I just texted you and said, hey, can we do the podcast soon? And Lynette said, how about tomorrow morning? Morning. I thought I thought you were going to say, "How about next month? We have this to do." So, well, you know, the fact that we—I knew that we actually had been avoiding it, to be honest, because we didn't think we had anything to say that was <laughs> oh really my interesting. God. No, that's insane. This has been so fun. Yeah. So, and Chris, how, I, I shouldn't say this, but I've never heard a podcast in my life. So no, but it's I, fine. I hope, I and I'm going to guess that even after this one gets released, you will still not have heard a podcast in your life. <laughs> I I will I will look it up and listen to it though. Uh. All right. Well, I I hope you enjoy it, and I think you will. Um, and then you know we have others with Jonathan and Leaf that you might enjoy too. Great. Because um, you know those guys. Right. And so one of the reasons I like doing these, really, there's a lot of reasons. It's eight years now. But so all the people that are coming with us this summer, I get to share this with them before they come. So it'll be the first time ever that when you have new guests where everybody's going to have a pretty good idea who they're going with before they go. And to me, that's one of the really nice things about this podcast is all these things that I do, I get to, people get to know the, the folks who are hosting us before they come. So, yes. um, well, we had a, a, a gentleman or gentleman, we had uh, three boys from Missouri, uh, on a river trip, uh, two years ago. 
And they sent us a, they had a drone down there. And they sent us a video that they put together and we just got it on our website. And of, of the trip that they videoed with the drone. And it's pretty incredible. It's, uh, it's on our website. You, you get a chance, you ought to take a look at it. And that's, so your website, that's a great time to mention. It's can, is it canyonoutfitters.com? Yep. Yeah. Com. Yep. Pretty simple, Canyon Outfitters. But there, I think it's important to point out that there, a couple of times when I first got to know you and I looked it up, there is a Canyon Outfitters somewhere in Idaho, too. Oh, actually, so you want to make sure you're on yours. Yeah, there's one in Arizona. We get yeah. the, we get the Oh, in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've but just make sure you're on yours. And to, to Arizona. Well, I mean, the Gila River, the yeah. Snake River, it's all, it's all similar. Yeah. <laughs> What's the difference? Well, listen, I look forward to seeing you. Um, I'm going to say at the very least in uh, six, four, four months, five months, uh, January or July 17th. So we have two trips, July 17th and August 21st. But... I really want wanted to have seen you before that. So if you can manage to make your way uh, west on 84 sometime before that, we'd love, love to get together with you and have a ringside and flying fish dinners and host you out here at the you coast. You know what? I'll take care of that. I will make sure that happens. We'll make it a priority. Okay. Yeah. See, that's another benefit to the podcast. If I put it out there to a lot of people, you kind of you kind of have to. You don't have to. But you've, you've sort of made a commitment to a lot of people, and I know you have integrity, and you are not going to break that commitment. So, so we're going to see you. And uh, all right, I'm going to stop recording now. But hold on, don't go anywhere. Just a minute. So, thanks again for joining us and uh, it's been a real treat and for you to think that you had nothing to say is is one of the insane things on the planet well now we'll so. think up all the really good stuff that we forgot chris thank you and well that's all right we can have you on again and now you can share this with all your friends in in yeah. halfway and around the world yeah but we'd have too many pairs of hip boots we'd have to supply <laughs> <laughs> Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right